The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. This is Sportbox, and these are your headlines. U.S. markets pop as investors digest a slew of economic data and corporate earnings. Tesla leading the Nasdaq up nearly 2%, putting it on pace for its best month since July. The U.S. economy grows more than expected in the final quarter of 22, raising hopes that the Fed can pull off a soft landing. President Biden says it shows his economic plan is working. This is all evidence that the Biden economic plan, because y'all is actually working. It's working. It really is. Uh, Russia has stepped up its assault on several Ukrainian cities just hours after Kyiv uh, secures uh, commitments from Western allies for heavy tank deliveries. And Ukraine's Vladimir Zelensky stresses the need for more artillery. I'm very happy. I'd like to say thank you Meanwhile, to Meanwhile, LVMH posts record sales and profits for the second straight year and says the return of Chinese shoppers is cause for optimism. So is everything good with the world? Are we happy now that we're going to have a soft landing and the markets are just going to go higher? What do you reckon, Steve? It all looks rather green here, doesn't it? But are we being tempted into taking risks that we shouldn't? Well, the, the, the premise, this is a fascinating conversation that uh, Ms. Cho and you and I have had so many times. The premise for the bears is that there's going to be a recession, not that inflation isn't going to come off the boil and not that the Fed at some stage isn't going to hold fire on more rate hikes. And, uh, so the, the, the three big fears, the three big bears for the market, um, rate hikes, inflation and recession. Now, I think the market thinks, and rightly so, that inflation is coming off the board. That's what the data is showing. There was a bit more of that yesterday from the quarterly core PCE deflator, which rose at 3.9% annualised down from 47 in the third quarter. So once again, encouraging on that inflation front as well. The Fed at the moment seems to be slowing the pace of hikes, but not talking about more hikes into the second, third, fourth quarter. But still, there is this divergence, of course, between the market and the Fed about when the cuts start as well. But the third premise that is very interesting, I think, is, is the talk about recession. Uh, and now there is a hope, certainly in the last couple of weeks, and as Gorgieva said to Jeff on his panel uh, a week ago, um, no, we don't think things are good, but things are less bad. So the question is, are we going to skirt some form of recession? Is it going to be very shallow? And that's really interesting, because if we do skirt recession, like a lot of people now are beginning to start talking about, then that means the premise that you cannot have this kind of rally if there is a recession going on. That blows it up. Because if there's no recession, then you don't need that, uh, that reaction from the stock market, if you see what I mean. So I think that's really interesting, that if the rhetoric is going to change on recession, what does that mean about this rally? And my goodness me, we've had a rally. Let's show the markets week today, and I'll give you even more data on this as well, because I had a look at the week today, and I've also been looking at the month today as well. So on the week today, do you know the Dow, including last Friday, has had four out of four sessions to the upside? 
And as you can see there, it's up 1.7%. The S&P's put on 2.2%. The, the Nasdaq's put on 33 But what do you think the month-to-date figures are, ladies and gentlemen? They're really, really big. The S&P's put on 5%. Plus, the Nasdaq is up 10%. So it's all very well for those people now who are potentially thinking about, oh, yeah, maybe we should dip our toe. But you've kind of missed it because the rally off the lows for the S&P, especially for all of those. And we had stacks of really smart people. I'm not knocking them, but we had stacks of people telling us we've got to go down to 3,500 on the S&P. We've got to go down to 3,300. The right level is 3,000. And then you can think about picking up stocks. Well, I'm sorry, you guys. You're 30% offside from the rally we've had since late September, 26th of September in some cases, early October in others as well. Really big rallies. We were talking about this yesterday with the DAX and the CAC. They put on huge rallies since then as well. So what do you do? You think there's going to be a recession and you think that this is a fool's rally. But if there's no recession, you've, you've, you've blown it. Uh, Tesla, let's have a look at Tesla. I mean, again, huge rally. Say what you like about Tesla. And I've said my own comments about Tesla and my concerns about the margins and concerns about the, the premium it trades over the rest of the uh, automakers who are adding tech rather than a tech company that's doing autos. And I think that's perhaps the, the subtle difference. But look, say what you like about the concerns about the margins. And I've said plenty about you know, credits being a, a huge part of their secret source, as one of our analysts said yesterday. Look, they're up, they're up from 109. Where's the low on this one? You can't even see the low on this one from the recent. They were down to like 109, 110, and now look at them, 160. Huge rally. You've missed it. Let's have a look at treasuries. 3.5% is what the uh, 10 years trading at. 4.2 is what the two years on. Dollar crosses again. Again, the dollar, well, it's uh, on the month to date, the dollar index has lost 1.7%. But again, I think it's really calmed down. You know, since a lot of that early violence in the year, pound seems quite steady at 124, euros around 109, dollar yen 129, 130. The action actually on the dollar yen is on the BOJ side rather than on the, um, the Fed side, I think, at the moment. Dollar Swiss, you put that one in there as well, uh, making a bit of ground versus the, uh, the, 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 the safe haven that is the Swissy as well. Do you want to look at some of the other commodities out there? Might as well do it. WTI and Brent, 88 bucks, uh, 81. Again, there's not a lot of volatility in these asset class at the moment. The, uh, gold's still trading 1,900 plus uh, dollars a troy ounce. But actually, the, if you look at the volatility in the oil market, it looks it's really calmed down. And that's despite concerns about all kinds of stuff going on in Europe. And, and of course, you've got the uh, Asian um, activity. We'll show Asian markets, ex-China as well, because they're still enjoying the new year as well. But I mean, you know, what's the reopening mean for the oil price? Well, a lot of the pundits were telling us it's going to go to 100 bucks plus. Still think it's going to go to 100 bucks plus. It may well do that. But at the moment, beautifully behave for, I think, everyone in the oil market. Um, flat market on the Nikkei. Hang Seng up 0.2, Nifty 50 down 1.2%. Opening calls, I'll have a quick, uh, kick, quick gander at those. Um, yeah, we're called higher across the board. So, so, so that's, kind of, I guess, my thought of the day. And it's not a particularly original thought, but it is a thought that we need to have. And that is all those people who <coughs> rightly said to us, in terms of history, you cannot have this kind of rally and it be sustainable if we've got a recession. What are they going to do if there's no recession? 
I think it's a terrific question, but I know we've got a guest waiting, so we'll belt through the reads and we'll get to the guest, and I think we'll tease out the conversation because I know we've all, all got a lot to say about this. The U.S. economy grew 2.9% in the final quarter of the year. That was slightly better than expected, but weaker than the third quarter. Half of that boost came from a sharp rise in business inventories. Um, you saw that at Tesla as well, which was interesting, some of which likely unwanted, according to the analysts. Consumer spending, which accounts for about 68% of GDP, rose 2.1%, down slightly from the previous period. But the headline numbers suffered a big drag from residential fixed investment, which plunged by more than a quarter, wiping around 1.3 percentage points from the figure. The Fed's preferred gauge of inflation, the Personal Consumption Expenditures Price Index, or PCE, jumped 3.2% in the fourth quarter, in line with expectations. The core reading rose 3.9%, lower than expected, potentially giving the Fed more ammo to slow and eventually pause hikes. The December core PCE readings are due out today, expected to gain on the month, but slow on the year. A separate economic report highlighted a strong, tight labour market. Weekly jobless claims fell by 6,000, down to 186,000 for the lowest reading since April and well below the 205,000 Dow Jones estimate. Michael Sonnenfeld joins us, chairman of uh, Tiger 21. Michael, uh, no one said investing in the markets had to be easy, but it seems to be increasingly perplexing trying to figure out where you're going to get uh, the best return at the moment, given the various headwinds and tailwinds we see in this GDP figure. Just give us your thoughts. What do you think, in summation, it tells us about the chances of having a soft landing this year? You know, our members are of, of the same mixed mind that you've just discussed. Uh, our members, many of them think we're going to have a recession in the fourth quarter, a majority, and yet we're more fully invested than we've ever been in 15 years. Cash typically is a 12%, it's now down to 10. And the biggest shocker is private equity, which our members have specialty because they're entrepreneurs, uh, hit 31%. That was 10% 15 years ago. It's been the greatest transformation of high net worth portfolios. And all of our members obviously are ex uh, quite successful and have portfolios in the many tens of millions and hundreds of millions but expressing it through private equity is just an extraordinary change that we've never seen before. Before we get into to the private equity and some of the asset classes you like at the moment, I just wanted to circle back to that inventory number because it does yeah. represent the risk that ultimately a lot of the business activity that has driven this GDP number is already activity that's taken place. That's money that's now been spent and those products are and those goods are sitting in warehouses at the moment waiting to be sold potentially at a discount if they can't shift them. So what do you think that means in terms of uh, borrowing growth from the future? So, you know, inventory has been like the canary in the coal mine. Right after the pandemic, you had something called the bullwhip effect where inventory pantries were dry and now they're starting to stock it up. It's like waves sloshing back and forth. It's one of the reasons the situation is so unclear because inventories are distorting what most people do. All I know is that our members want to go back to basics. They want to invest in businesses. You know, One of the indications is our members are almost 80% invested between private equity, public equity, and real estate. That's about as bullish on the long-term 
as you can get. And still, they say they expect a recession and are keeping 10% in cash. Uh, one other indication is that hedge funds, historically around 7%, have fallen over the decade to 2%. It's an ex- extraordinary visceration of an industry that had so much potential a generation ago. Michael, if you look at some of the signals, though, you can see why a lot of investors are so confused. I mean, the case for a mild recession or even skirting one, you see a lot of people pointing to the labour market in particular, the strength that we've seen there. That is the one catalyst many are looking at. But then if you just peel away a layer, you can see that there are layoffs coming very thick and fast from corporates. I mean, even yesterday, it was Dow, it was IBM, SAP, uh, SAP and of course, uh, Hasbro. So what do we make of some of the, the language that we're getting from corporates versus what the data is showing us? from a lagging indicator it's it's also uh, you know a real mixture at first it was just the high-tech stocks high-tech companies that were laying off and as you now say it's spreading but in the smaller businesses that have high growth i think one of the reasons <clears throat> the recession is less likely but not off the table is the economy is so strong even though the growth rate is slowing And uh, what people do in this kind of environment is they say, I have to prepare for a rainy day. Let me make sure I have significant cash and liquidity. But there's still amazing opportunities with this level of employment, Uh, even, uh, you know, in almost every sector. It's just quite extraordinary what our members are seeing. And part of our process is to weed out the imbalance. There's so much noise between the politics of the situation and the global problems. Of course, Ukraine is a deep concern. We're hoping that that gets resolved in the near future. But it's really a back to basics. Uh, Don't get worried about recession or no recession. Invest in businesses that are going to be durable no matter what. If you're concerned about inflation, make sure the assets you have are either inflation protected or have a way of benefiting from inflation because if you're in the real estate business very often real estate is a fantastic way uh, to protect against inflation where you can pass rents along to uh, your tenants michael where does that leave gold though because we've seen a fairly decent rally one of the biggest gains for gold in, in recent years as it started out 2023 yeah so you know gold for our members has historically been a one to three percent asset. It's never been more than three. It's typically, and today around one, interestingly enough, about the same scale as Bitcoin. And what I'm talking about is a base of $135 billion in assets across our 1,200 members. Uh, You can do the math of what that is for each individual member. But gold and Bitcoin are really instability hedges and uh, uh, not so much inflation hedges. The history shows that Uh, gold spikes. And you have this period, just uh, as we've been commenting, there's more churn and instability in these numbers. Just as one example, for 15 years, real estate was king among our members' portfolios. Now real estate is third behind private equity. And uh, earlier in the year, public equity was our number one allocation. It's It's now fallen. So lots of churn going on. Yeah, my problem is numbers two and three, private equity and property. I'm stunningly concerned about, and you would have not have been lost on a man of your knowledge, uh, what's going on at Blackstone at the moment. And the fact of the matter is, 
I think there is a very real accusation one can label at private equity that they haven't even started the revaluation on assets that the public sector uh, has initiated. And of course, combining the two, um, Blackstone getting a bit of a drubbing at the moment because a lot of their property assets are just not quite worth what they said they were even a short while ago. So I'd be very worried about your numbers two and three at the moment, real estate and private equity. No, no question. It's a great point. Although our members don't favor those large funds, they favor the smaller investments that they can control, control themselves. And uh, what the advantage of that is, is when there's a problem, they can fix it rather than being the last person to hear about it. So I think in a lot of areas, when you have this kind of change and churn, uh, owning more direct control of assets gives you ability to maneuver that sometimes just being a shareholder or a partner in a huge fund doesn't give you. Obviously, there's competing benefits, but that's one of the things our members really favor. Michael, can I just probe on crypto? I asked you about uh, the traditional hedge gold before, but you know, crypto has been an area a lot of investors have been wading into last year. We have seen a bounce back in the likes of Bitcoin this year, but that does coincide with a bounce back in FANG stocks, tech stocks too, that have been hard hit. Is that all it is? Uh, some investors just nibbling in the same old area around these growth stocks? You know, uh, you mentioned Tesla would be another example. If you look at Tesla and Bitcoin in the last month, amazing rally over the last year doesn't look so good. So perspective is really the key. That's what our members are trying to get in our meetings. I think the bottom line is with Bitcoin falls into a class of assets where our members say, when an asset goes down, if you're not more excited to buy it, you probably shouldn't have bought it in the first place. Obviously, that's not a 100% rule. But we have many members who have long-term commitments to the better cryptocurrencies, particularly Bitcoin and Ethereum. And for those diehards, if you will, the downturn was a buying opportunity. For those a little less uh, heavy-hearted or those light-hearted investors, they bailed out when the going got tough. And that's what makes great investors great investors. You have to weather the storm, but you got to know what, you ha what you're doing. And you have to have the confidence that when you really believe in something, you're willing to hold it for the long term. Michael, pleasure catching up with you. Thanks for joining us this morning. Michael Sonnenfeld, uh, chairman Thank of you. Tiger 21. For more on the GDP data and why economists are still expecting a recession, check out cnbc.com. And still to come on the program this morning, Signify posting a drop in full year earnings, citing a volatile macro environment. The company, though, remains hopeful on the margin outlook for 2023. The CEO, Eric Rondelat, will join us very shortly. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com.
broadcasting from Signify this morning and the latest here is uh, we're seeing the installed base of connected light points increasing from 96 million to uh, 114 million uh, over the year. Sales at 7.51 billion euros. Nominal sales up 9.5%. In terms of what we're seeing on the LED-based sales, that represented 83% of total sales, similar to the same time a year ago. Margin slippage, 10.1 uh, on the EBITDA margin adjusted level versus 11.6 same time a year ago. Net income, is uh, that's actually going up 532 million euros versus 407 million uh, in 21. Free cash flow, though, going down 445 million versus 614 million previously. Net debt EBITDA ratio of 1.3 times, uh, down from 1.4 times. Let's get into the conversation with Eric Rondelat, who is the CEO of Signify. Eric, a few challenges here on margins on free cash flow. You've pointed out in the commentary it's been a challenging year. Just explain what you're seeing at this stage and whether there's any light at the end of the tunnel. Yes, good morning, Karen. Effectively, you know, 2022 has been a very eventful year. Uh, cash uh, was impacting by the lead time extension of the supply chain when profitability uh, was also impacted by uh, uh, currency and the logistic uh, price increases and also the energy prices that we've experienced during the year. But as you've said, you know, everything, on the other hand, we progressed on our strategic priorities, which is to continue to connect light with 116 million uh, light points connected uh, on the planet, while at the same time, you know, what we have called connected lighting and growth platforms now amount for a business which is around 2 billion euros for us. So as you can see, you know, despite despite adverse condition, you know, uh, at the macro level, we've been continuing to progress on our strategic journey. Eric, as you point to some of the challenges, can I just bring up one of the elements where some of the investors on the CEOs are rallying around? That's the reopening theme out of China. Does that make any difference to the narrative? Probably in 2023, you know, for us, China has been uh, a big detractor in, in terms of market uh, in 2022. It is our second uh, market worldwide. And especially in Q4, you know, with the reopening or with the... Uh, uh, the the COVID uh, situation uh, dramatically changing. We've been very impacted. So we hope uh, to see the reopening of China probably, you know, at the end of Q1 and Q2 and for the rest of the year. But it will make a difference in 23 for us, for sure. Um, a lot of those challenges, and I, I, I guess, are the long-term ones, Eric, that you and I have talked about, that we've all talked about for a very long time. And it's a uh, it's, it's cheap, imicable production coming from other areas as well. That challenge is still there as well. And, it, and it's weighing on the shares as well. Any sign of, uh, of the, the fact that you ha and your product, which I know is a premium product as well, any sign that that is actually gaining traction at the um, expense of those rivals with the cheap imitations? Yeah, good morning, Stephen. You know, that has been the case for the past 10 years. And when you look at uh, the progression of the company, uh, it's not only differentiating, you know, the established base by bringing differentiation. Let me give you an example. We have brought to the market uh, in the past quarters an LED lamp, which is saving 50 to 60 percent additional energy compared to existing LED lamps. So there's always a route to innovate, to keep on differentiating on the base business. And, you know, over the years, we have developed a very, very strong business in connected lighting, which has much less uh, competition because it's not only about, you know, uh, assembling 
uh, a light source. It's also about connecting it uh, to software, to control devices, uh, to apps. And we've been managing with a business which is now you know, around $2 billion to differentiate against these competitors. Yeah, my worry is <clears throat> that the China slowdown isn't just about COVID. It's also about the fact that you are facing that huge competition in that market. And that's where we've, we had the margin downgrade as well on the 12th of January, Eric. Uh, that's not the way I see it. You know, the, 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 the downgrade is linked directly to the pressure we had. On one hand, currency, uh, you know, logistic cost, and also the price of energy. You know, we're also producing, you know, in China, and we're producing uh, at the level of uh, other manufacturers over there. So it's not uh, that, I mean, we, we, we don't share the same view here. Eric, let me move you on. Um, lighting off offers one of the, the best opportunities, it seems to me, to seize that low-hanging fruit of how to improve a business's energy profile here. So I'm, I'm just interested, are you, do you see a route to access some of that um, IRA money in the United States that is being spent to try and improve the environmental profile of America? Yes, absolutely. Maybe not the RIA, but the IIGA. And this is where we see an interesting potential. We've seen many projects in uh, in the US at this point in time when it comes to uh, uh, changing the infrastructure to more energy efficient uh, infrastructure. And uh, we're participating to that, you know, big, big time. But that's also the case in Europe. Now, if you take a bit of distance and you look at the 27, 27 member states, and if they were all moving uh, to LED, we would make a saving of about 60 billion uh, in energy costs, uh, about uh, 51 million tons of CO2, which is the equivalent of the CO2 emission of about 500 coal plants. So there's a real uh, potential here uh, to save energy and participate uh, to what uh, this um, government of countries and, uh, and regions have decided to do. You know, We've made a very interesting, you know, inroad from a technology standpoint. You can imagine streetlights. Uh, if you put motion sensing on the lights, meaning that you're only going to have light at night when there is movement, pedestrian movements or vehicle movements, then you can save up to 96% of the energy cost. So this is where I think uh, we all should go. All right. and, and, you know, we're doing a lot of uh, lobby talking to governments uh, yeah. uh, to incentivize them to go in that direction. Eric, which, which is fascinating because we've just come away from uh, the Davos event with a lot of European politicians, frankly, uh, preparing themselves for a trade battle with the United States over this issue of uh, the direction of travel uh, to achieve net zero. Um, do you think that Europe is dragging its heels on some of these uh, changes that would help businesses like yours uh, that want to encourage the move into uh, more efficient uh, business practice, more efficient industrial lighting? Is Europe lagging? No, we, we don't see that at this point in time. On, on the contrary, I would say, you know, what, what started to be the Green Deal at the time, which is about a one uh, trillion investment, uh, was decided. And we have already, since the past uh, two quarters, a really good sign that this is being implemented. And uh, we are recording a lot of projects at this point in time in many different countries of Europe where we are helping uh, to uh, make the infrastructure more energy efficient 
and uh, with very uh, substantial and, 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 and very good results. So at the end of the day, we don't see that Europe is dragging its feet on the contrary. It's been quite faster this time uh, than with what we have seen in the US. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.